join together in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in that most holy name of Jesus we have gathered together, that name that has become so precious unto our hearts, as we have come to know him as the lover of our soul, and the Savior of the whole world, but most of all our own Savior, the one who came into this world and he gave himself so freely and laid down his life a ransom for us so that our hearts and our souls even tonight could be your children and we could in that confidence and that knowledge knowing that you look upon us with favor because of what he has done in our behalf and knowing that in him then we have this hope of eternal life which burns even within our hearts tonight. When we think of the future, Father, we have many questions and we are not sure, as man always is with his vision that is only from this side. But tonight even we want to trust everything into thy care and keeping. That our hearts could be assured of your power and your strength against even the enemies that each one of us battles against. For tonight, you know each one of our lives and you know our hearts and you know our journeys and you know where we are. And so as we have gathered together, even tonight, we ask that as you know each one of us and you know where we are in our journeys and our lives, we ask that you would speak unto us so that our hearts would be edified and that we would understand more clearly of your purpose in this world as you came into it and also our purpose as your children. We ask that we would, by your spirit and your word, would more fully understand and grow in that grace and knowledge of who you are so that we would more recognize who we are and then find that we need you more and more each day. We ask that you would be with the young people, even of this congregation, and that you would place that burning desire within their hearts for more that is of the truth and more and more of a knowledge of your Son, Jesus. Be with the middle-aged, those who are raising their families and caring for them, and as you know, the burden that they have for their children and just the many cares of life, we ask that as you are able to uplift them and strengthen them, the mothers and the fathers, that you would care for them in their individual lives. And for those who are on the latter part of their journey, we ask that you would be with them even to the end as your word has promised. For we know that it has been testified that towards the end of the journey it becomes more and more difficult. So we ask your strength and your assurance and your comfort even unto them. But as you look over the whole flock of your children, you are able to minister to every need. We ask that even tonight you would speak to us individually so that we could be blessed in this gathering, and that also that your name would be glorified. Hear us, our Father, chart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This evening we are gathered here a few souls in the presence of the God who is love, as we have heard in the song we have sung. And we have come here to worship Him as our Savior and our Redeemer. And we can only say that we can do this because He has first loved us. Because by birth and in our own strength and in our own natural ability that we have received from Adam and from our parents. We don't seek God and we cannot love Him. But as the Apostle John has taught us that He first loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world. That that love that has come down from above then would be shed abroad in every heart who comes in repentance and is filled with the need that has been created there by the Almighty God to be filled with that love, the love of Jesus, the love that speaks forgiveness. Forgiveness in the blood that was shed for mercy and grace to each soul and not vengeance. Even as remember how we read in Genesis about Cain and Abel, that when Abel was slew, that his blood spoke vengeance from the ground. But the blood that would speak in Zion this evening speaks mercy and speaks forgiveness. We are, we are at a unique time in history. We are at the very end of the year. 
that will lead us to the year 2000, the very last days of this year. And it's been 6,000 years since the creator of the universe by his word spoke and it was and it came to pass. And Jesus, when he left, he said that he would come again. As you see him go, he will come again in the clouds. The angels told them as they stood there, and he went. And we don't know the day nor the hour, but my father knows it. That's what Jesus told us. So the thing that we would want to consider in these last days of this year, not so much whether we're going to have lights, or whether the power is going to be on. But do we have the power of God abiding in our own heart? Are our sins forgiven? Do we have the peace of God? Do we know this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem's manger? And what he has taught us and he has desired is that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And by the eye of faith be able to hold him in every time of tribulation, that there would be the victory that has overcome the world, and that is by faith, even our faith. The faith of the Son of God. And you know, that's a gift. But there's something to bear in mind specifically about a gift. That when it's wrapped up in paper and it's not opened, do you really have it or partake of it? You might have your name written on it. But when it is unwrapped and you partake of that gift and it's in your hands, well then, it is yours. And if you have been given the gift of faith and the knowledge of Jesus and have received the forgiveness that he has provided, that you would be able to say this evening that it is yours and that it will not be taken away by no man or by the devil, but that God has promised that he will keep you and he will protect you and he will keep you in all time of trouble that when the time to leave this life comes, if it doesn't go beyond the year 2000 this world, that you will be able to stand with the palms of victory in your hands and be looking toward the eastern horizon and be able to say with Apostle John, Come, Lord Jesus. We will consider this evening a part of the scriptures that would speak to us of Christ, and all of the word basically speaks to us of Christ because from Genesis to the end of the Bible there's a crimson thread and that crimson thread is Christ the crucified and thorn crowned king and that is the God that is love that was Christ when we read of love in the Bible when it talks about it in charity we can put Christ there we can put Jesus there it's not the love that we think of the love that we have one for another or even the love that we would have even for the closest one in our life, our wife or our husband. But it is the love that God wants us to learn of. So we will read then for a text this evening. And me asking you that for both myself and for Bruce that speak here, and that you would have that desire to do it whenever somebody comes to this place. You would be with your heart before the Heavenly Father. That feed us with your word. And open the word to the ones that speak. Because the ministers, as Paul says, they are nothing but the servants of God. And they have no strength of their own. And when we are here in our own strength, then the, the bread becomes, becomes defiled and the taste of the vessel is in it. And that 
pure love that has come down from above, the love that not only wants to awaken the sinner to the knowledge of his sin, but wants to free him from the bondage and deliver him from that captivity that he has been snared with. So then I would ask, sigh, sigh diligently and sigh sincerely to the Heavenly Father to feed us from his word. The third chapter of Philippians, we will read the first 16 verses of the third chapter of Philippians. Reading the first 16 verses of the third chapter of Philippians, in the name of Jesus our Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, in that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same things. Amen. The first word of our text says finally. So he is going to sum up and conclude now from what he's been teaching them before. And what did he teach them? If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This one-mindedness we find in the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost. It says they were in one mind and one accord. And you know, as the children of God, united we stand. We stand under the blood of the covenant that is an everlasting covenant. Divided we fall. So may we then remember that we would have 
a love that binds, not a love that is other than a love that would bind us. Knowing that it can't be a carnal love that we would have just as fleshly human beings, that we would have the love that when our brothers and sisters are on a way that leads them away from the Word of God and from Jesus, that we would care enough, that we would have even the tears that Paul shed about those that were the enemies of the cross of Christ, that they would be tears shed when we went there to point out that the wages of sin is yet death, and that if we follow in the wages of sin, we will perish. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Paul says that he's teaching them the same thing, the same old story, the story of the Bible, which is maybe a poor way to say it, because the story in our day, we don't think it is this true. It could be a false story. But that's the way the truth was handed down, and it's been handed down from generation to generation, and that's the way... It has been in all the countries where they haven't had the Word of God that it was, as it says in the book of Acts, that it went from faith to faith from them that heard it. So that we would then be those ambassadors for Christ or even as Paul teaches us the truth about how this Word would go forth. It is so wonderful that we have it and we can each have a Bible in our hand. But it went from faith to faith. and It is by the preaching of the Word or faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So that Paul then says it is safe then to have this same word that was delivered unto him, this same Jesus that saved him, and commissioned him to go forth to bear that gospel of repentance and the remission of sins. It's a safe thing. And in that preaching of the repentance and the remission of sins, there's the exhortation or the preaching of the law, and there's the preaching of the gospel. There's a preaching of repentance that says to a man who is dead in trespasses and sins that the way is a way that is dark and it is no way of peace, but it's the way of sin and death. But there is the, the light of heaven that has come down and that is Jesus and that way is the way of peace and consolation. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. The use of dogs here is not in a positive light like we know that Lestadius, when he spoke about the dogs that would bark and how important it was that they'd bark. But this is the same way that the woman who was despised used it when she came to Jesus. And he said that it wasn't meat to give the children's bread to the dogs. And she said, Yea, Lord but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's tables. That these are those that are outside, that don't have the kingdom of grace as the children of Israel had. As Jesus said, I come to my own, to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. And these are those, especially religious dogs that Paul is talking about here, those ones that had the concision, that insisted that you have the flesh mutilated, that you become circumcised or do the work that the law commanded to be circumcised or Christ didn't belong to you. And today we would say that there's many, many of these doctrines that are in the world that don't point to the reality that man is a sinner 
and he needs a Savior. What puts you to work and says, if you will do thus and thus and such, and if you will labor diligently in a perfecting of the flesh and of a sanctifying of your life, that then, and then you can come and ask, and then the Father will receive you. That doctrine is the doctrine of the devil, and it will never change, and it will always be the doctrine of the devil. Because when you examine this word, and you examine the teaching of this word, he concluded all under sin, the good and the bad. And the good ones have been obedient, even as we see Paul was, that he was obedient to the teaching, and he had labored diligently with the teaching that he had been taught. And what did he find? He found this, that he was weighed in the balance and he was wanting. And he needed the light from heaven. And that's for each one of us. We uh, get weighed in the balances when God's word is preached in its truth. And though we have been maybe not circumcised, but maybe we've been baptized, maybe we have diligently attended the church, of our fathers and mothers and have the heritage of living Christianity. But it's not heritage that saves you. It is the blood of Christ and it is Jesus alone. We may have been baptized. We may have been confirmed. We may take our vows at confirmation. And we may have come to the Lord's table and partaken. And we may have diligently striven to guard our conscience and we have stood then with these things and we have said to God you must accept me and you must give me peace but remember these things are blessed and they are good but they are done by men and man works in them and depends upon them we sing with the songwriter of the eternal truth of grace that nothing in I, my hand I bring but simply to thy cross I cling it won't work on judgment day to bring your baptismal certificate to the great white throne and say father I'm accepted because my name is written here and I was baptized this certain year at this time and neither will it be acceptable on judgment day to say that one time I was sorry for my sins and I cried tears and I heard them forgiven. But today we come before an almighty God as men justified by faith and only by faith. This faith then is the faith that Jesus wants to give to everyone that is needy. It's Christmas time and we hear and we have heard already at these services about Mary and what she said. It was the poor but not the rich. Filled the poor with good things. The rich, he sends them empty away. And it will be the same day that if we are full of ourselves and of what we have been able to accomplish and of our own righteousness, and our own works, we will be sent empty away. But if we are 
needy and poor and filled with the grace of God that is full and free and requires nothing. Jesus requires nothing for the sinner. He didn't come down here into this world to save us because we were something. But he came down here to save us because he loved us and we didn't have anything to offer. And we could not save ourselves. We didn't have, as we should say, we don't even have the ability to think good thoughts, let alone to walk holy and righteously and purely in his presence. Paul says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So here was this Paul whom we already mentioned about. Then he looked at himself and his journey as a Hebrew, as a child of the covenant that was a covenant that had a promise in it and that promise was that there was going to be a Messiah come. And he thought he was blameless but he believed that word. But Paul didn't believe he was a sinner. And if man doesn't believe he's a sinner he has no need of grace. If man doesn't come to where he has got anything to say for himself in front of a righteous father then he can't be saved because even Job he had to stick his hand over his mouth and he no longer could justify himself and he had to say that I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes and then God gave him and blessed him and then he could remember how he had seen that Redeemer who would stand upon the earth. And what did Paul do when the Spirit came then? Because Christ came there and it was the power of the Holy Spirit that struck him to the ground when Christ spoke. But I count these things, but what things were gained to me, I, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. Are we ready to be empty-handed? Are we ready to be clothed without nothing in our pockets to bring to the Father? Nothing, no certificates of righteousness, nothing in our hand that you might win Christ. He, you know, he counted all these things that he had, being a Pharisee and being a Hebrew of a Hebrews, as refuse. They weren't of any value. Well, a better word, maybe the children would understand better. Garbage. If these things are to win Christ, even that are good, they're, they're garbage. Because God is not accept, does not accept them. He does not accept a name that is written in the church books as an entrance into heaven. There's only one thing that is accepted, and that's Christ and a name that is written in that book of life. And it's written there not by our effort and by a great effort that you can exert, but by the effort of the love of God or Christ Jesus 
when he took that load that was so heavy and bore it. Bore it to Calvary's cross. And there he cries out with a message that is the message that we need this last day, days of this century, this millennium. We need that message. Because we need to be partakers here and now. I know the world says, and many of the people that name the name of Christ say that Christ is coming, the day is coming when there's going to be peace. But there's going to be no peace upon this earth before this earth is destroyed. And when this earth is destroyed, it'll be when we begin to say peace and safety and then sudden destruction will come upon it. But we need to have that millennium within our heart or the peace of that millennium or that now, here and now, we need to have and be found in Him, have, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The other evening we heard about how the just shall live by faith. And the writer to Hebrew, he reaffirms that so beautiful to us when he says that the just shall live by faith. And if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but believe to the saving of the soul. That we would believe then and be covered with the righteousness which is of faith and have no boasting in the flesh, even as Apostle Paul. But we would be able to say even if with Paul as he said about his own flesh, or that in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Many, many times we, we think that we can be a Christian if we can sanctify this flesh. If we can make the devil that this flesh is into a better person. But it'll never happen. It'll never happen. And as Luther was when he stood there before the casket, he said that he was going to go feed this flesh to the worms, that this flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God, this flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. But like this text in the end of this chapter, which our text come from, says, who, shall, who, which is Lord Jesus, shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That the righteousness that we have in life is not of the flesh, even though our bodies are ruled either by the Holy Ghost and the Spirit that was in, or by that flesh, that carnal portion. And Jesus Christ is going to subdue that carnal portion on the judgment day, so it will never speak to us again, never trouble us, and it will, we will have a body that is devoid of that carnal portion. But Jesus Christ today wants to subdue this vile body so that it is put into his service, and it is the service of love, one for another. It would be as we would say that, well, in, in the world they tell us that, well, you have a problem, you don't have a high enough self-esteem. That if you thought a little bit better of yourself, you wouldn't be so uh, troubled and you wouldn't have these burdens that you bear and you wouldn't seem to be so depressed. But no, that'll never take away, that'll never take away depression that will never take away a burden for us to esteem ourselves highly. Even as Paul teaches us 
to let each man esteem the other better than himself. That it's not in self-centeredness or in self-esteem, but it's in Christ-centeredness. That we would be blotted out as far as the power of the flesh at the cross of Jesus. And that we would then be engrafted into him and our flesh would be destroyed, our carnal portion would die. And I know that in this life, it's daily that we drink of the fountains of life that the flesh can be put down, or as Paul teaches us, mortified. And as he teaches in Romans about this body itself, that whosoever you yield your members to be servants of, whose servants ye are. So there's the voice of God and the Spirit, and then there's the voice of the flesh. And then who is overcome? Our war hero, our Joseph that does yet live, he's overcome the flesh. There was sanctified flesh upon this life. And whose was it? The sanctified flesh upon this life was the flesh of Jesus. And he was pure and holy and unblameable in the sight of God. And only when we partake of him in his sanctified flesh, eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, that do we have any sanctified flesh. And it's not our own, but it's his and we have become part of him. And we have become as married one flesh. That's what it says about natural marriage. That a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And that's the relationship then through the Spirit of God and through the forgiveness of sins and new birth that we are to have with our Savior is one flesh. It's a union. It's a bond. It's a bond that's a bond that is so so tight that you can't you can't be separated, that clings, that clings with a, a grip that is the power of the Spirit, a union of the Spirit. In our text we see in the third verse it says, Worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And this spirit here is not in capital letters, so it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the spirit that is within man, that the soul that is within man. The spirit and soul with man and the heart of man would be united to the spirit of God and to the heart of the Savior that beats with love and it beats with compassion and forgiveness. And it has one hatred. And that hatred is the hatred of sin and the hatred of the enemy of the soul. And as Jesus had love, love for the sinner, and it reaches out. It reaches out with the word that is a word that is living that as Paul wanted to know, that we, we want to know, and we want everybody to know, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. And the power of his resurrection was the Holy Spirit, and the Bible teaches us that he was raised again by the Spirit. And as the first chapter of Romans tells us, it was the Holy Spirit that raised him. And in Acts it tells us, that it was impossible for him to be beholden of death. Why was that? Because the Holy Spirit was there and death had been vanquished. Death had no dominion over him. It could not. And in that then, that spirit comes with into us that it would be a spirit. As we learn in the Catechism, what does the Holy Spirit do? It calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church. And sanctification then is by the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost. And though we would be as the children of Israel, and nobody misunderstand me, 
it is so wonderful for the children and for all of us to remember what God gave on Mount Sinai and the commandment that He gave. But though we write that upon the frontlets in front of our eyes and on the doorposts of our house, and we don't have the Holy Spirit in our heart, we cannot be sanctified and we cannot be a child of God. Though we would memorize it forward and backwards, without the Holy Spirit, we are not going to be sanctified and acceptable to the Father in heaven in life or in doctrine, in teaching. But the sanctifying Spirit comes is holy, and it is that fire like Jesus talked about, the fire that burns up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with Job then, we abhor, we abhor ourselves and the deeds of the flesh and what that flesh is able to accomplish. And we have nowhere to turn but to Christ for any hope and consolation and for any strength then to live and to walk a life that is in fellowship with his suffering and to conform us unto his death, a death that destroys the flesh, a death that does away with the power of the flesh, the death that gives us the being crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So it's the living God then, it's the living God from heaven, and it's Jesus, our Redeemer, who comes to tabernacle with us, and to make his abode with us, and to not only walk with us, but carry us in his everlasting arms of grace, so that our feet then are not the feet that are swift to shed blood, but our feet are the feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel, that we would look at the sinner with compassion and have a compassionate heart that would not just tell the truth to condemn his soul, but that would weep the tears of mercy, that would cry the tears in prayer, that beseech the Father in heaven, give grace, give grace, for without grace we perish, they perish. And then Paul says for himself, and I hope that we don't think that we're all at the point where we don't need anything anymore and that we have attained to a point where the Word is not for us. We don't need to come to church. We don't need to read God's Word. We don't need to pray. And we don't need our baptismal covenant. We don't need the Lord's table or we don't need to confess our sins. I pray we don't come to that place because that place is a place where Man goes astray because we need, as the children of God, what God has given to us. Those means of grace, those means of where we see and where we partake of the one who is given to us full and free, Jesus our Lord. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, we can, each one of us, remember back how far, I don't know. I can remember back to when I was three years old, and I have... Uh, listened and to a preacher that was born in 1870 and that goes back a quite a ways and I was old enough to understand him when he preached Paul says here that he wasn't already perfect 
but that he wanted to know that which was his and was given to him, and that was Christ, that he would be apprehended of Christ. But he knew how it was with him. And we can read about it too. That Paul says that with the mind he served the law of God and with the flesh the law of sin. That when he would do good, evil was present with him. He says that the good that I would do, that I do not. That which I not would not do, that I do. And he says, O wretched man that I am. And then he says that, but thank God through Christ Jesus, my Lord, that we are at the end of this year, and I don't know how it is with you. I don't have to go back beyond this week or beyond this day to know that I'm a sinner and that I've been a sinner and that I need to have that grace of God. But oh, this is, this is what I want to leave with you when you look back the end of this year you can look back I don't think anybody here is old enough to go back to 1800 but many of you are old enough to get close close to the first part of this century I want you to be able when Satan is troubling you even as our elder brother who is 89 years old and he's in the end of his life and he says that I've been a Christian for many many years and he says I just don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it because I'm so corrupt. I would want you to take this with Apostle Paul when he says that he was not already perfect, but he pressed on toward the prize of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That you would be able to forget those things that are behind, those sins. And if you haven't been given grace and God hasn't filled you with the Spirit to deal with them? I mean, if, if they need to be dealt with, if they need to be brought to the light, then oh, the Father would give you of His Spirit because you can make resolutions as the world makes at this time of the year say that I'm going to take care of them. And if God don't give you of His Spirit, you're not going to be able to take care of them. And you can't take care of them in a way that's going to save your soul because it's not in taking care of them that you're going to save your soul. But Paul wants us to be free and he says that there's out of a pure conscience the faith that is unfeigned. That many, many times because we deal with sin by hiding it, by appearing better than to know that there's sin that's been covered and it's hidden and when Jesus came, when Jesus came into this world, there was the church. There was that beautiful city of Jerusalem where the temple was, that very special place, where in the types and figures of the holiest of holies and in the service of that temple, there was supposed to be the figure that was supposed to point to that Redeemer. And it was hidden and it was lost upon them because men came there with their money with their heads held high and gave their money and they took care of their own sins but they hid them and they covered them. Proverbs tells us how it is with man when he covers his sin. He won't prosper. But if man confesses and forsakes his sin, he will obtain mercy. John tells us 
that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all evil. That is the way that we can forget those things that's behind, is that they are brought to the light, the light that shines from heaven, and the light that reveals. And we haven't got anything to hide. We don't have to have, oh, we don't have to have this feeling. Oh, I hope they don't find out. I hope nobody finds out what I am. In God's kingdom, there's not one above another. I can tell you this evening, there's not one person who would look down upon you this evening. If when you look back at this year, or you look back at your life, and you find that I've been hiding. I've been hiding from God's children, and I've been trying to appear who I am not. There's not one, one child of God here tonight that wouldn't be just overjoyed to assure you that believe it all forgiven in the name and the shed blood of Jesus in that ever, everlasting gospel. There's not one here, not one child of God here that's a true child of God. I don't care where the devil has taken you to, what sin he has caused you to fall into, that wouldn't be more than glad to preach that crucified gospel of the blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of that sin. And then, when we are free, we have light feet, and we are with Paul then. We have a common goal and a common bond that is love. There's a love toward God and there's a hatred of sin. But you know what it is for those that have experienced that? They stand in God's kingdom and they look at all the people who sit in the pew or they look at the preacher and they say that I'm the greatest of sinners. You know, in Psalms it talks about Jesus, but it talks about a Christian who knows his sin. That his sin is more than the hairs of his head. They cannot be numbered. This then is from the place where we can love. This then is where we can have that spirit within us that esteems the other better than himself. And oh then that we would then have this mind, and this is the mind of Christ, it's not the mind of the flesh. Because from very little age, from very young age, we are self-centered and we think we're better than other people. But in God's kingdom, when the mountains have been pushed into the valleys and the valleys have been lifted up, there's an even plain. And that plain then would gather together, not one above another, but would gather there where Jesus is and sit at his feet and have him teach us. And these teachings then are what we need to have because that's how it was. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a man that built his house upon a rock. And when the winds came, that house stood. This is the house of faith, and this is the house that we want to have, and we want to hear the sayings of Jesus, and we want to do them. And we do them because we have the Holy Spirit. Not by the flesh or by our own carnal strength, but we have been, as we have said, joined together, bound together, united as close as close as Siamese twins. They're born many times with the same heart. If they're cut apart, they die. And that is how it is. That if we are not bound to him, and if we're cut apart from Jesus, we die. Because there's no life outside of him. 
There's no life at all outside of Jesus. But with him there's eternal life. There's a life that will reach all the way to heaven. And now, let us therefore as many as be perfect. And that perfection is in Christ. And that forgiveness is in what he has offered to us. What he has done for us and nowhere else. Let us be, th be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And here we come to the reality how it was when Paul was there. He gathered there with the Philippians and they didn't all agree. They didn't all have the same convictions. They looked and they weren't leveled down to that small place. But they said that this is how I see it and I am right. And you know, if it is in God's word and we are not misinterpreting its word, that's the way it is, all right. God's word is true. Well, what does it say about it? It says, let God be true and every man a liar. Is there a possibility then when we have a disagreement with one another, another that we could be wrong? That we could be at the place of error? Or do we esteem ourselves so well that we never, never going to be wrong? We never make a wrong decision. We never are at a wrong place in our journey. I don't know how it is with those that are my age and older here. But I know that the journey has been for over 40 years. And I've been at many, many places upon this journey. And I've had many, many convictions. And I have met, have met many, many things that I stood upon that were mine and they weren't the Lord's. And He has had to send forth His Holy Spirit and the Word and those that have loved me so that they haven't cast me away, but they have cared for me and they have instructed me so that I can have no other foundation than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And let us have that foundation and hopefully we have attained unto this. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same things. And those things that are essential, which we have talked about, let them be the same and they have to be the same. Those things that are not essential where we disagree, let us above all have charity. Let us have love. Love that is blind. Love that forgives. Love that reaches out and labors with tears that we could be united in that common bond. That though we be different, though we come from many, many backgrounds, though our parents taught us one way, some of our brothers and sisters have been taught another way. Not another way of salvation, but when it comes to those things that are non-essential. Oh, let us have that charity that covers a multitude of these kind of sins. These sins that are the sins of conviction. And Paul tells us about these sins. He says, Blessed is the man that condemneth not himself and that thing which he alloweth. And when we had that charity then, we would strive to hold it. Hold it within our heart that has compassion and has love. Because as Paul says about this love, and this love especially, he tells us to those that preach, that though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, I am nothing. And that charity is Jesus. And let our message be the message of Apostle Paul. When he left... Ananias and the scales had fell 
from its eyes. It says he straightway preached Christ. Let us then preach Christ. Let us uphold the banner of the gospel, the bloody banner of the crucified and thorn-crowned king who lives and reigns before the God the Father making intercession for us today. And let us pray that our hard hearts would be broken. From that place of a broken heart, then, we can have love poured out. Love. And then we can have the life that Jesus said he came to give. I came to give you life and life abundantly. The abundant life of a sinner saved by grace. May God add a blessing to the hearing and speaking of his word as Bruce continues to preach this evening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.